Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I'm your host, Gene Trimbo, founder and station manager of Krypton Radio, and with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Beat me up, Deborah! <laughs> and this evening, our guests are the members of the Star Trek improv group called Phasers on Stun. And their names are Laura Wood, Jason Spencer Galsworthy, Rennie Frazier, and Deborah Schifra. They're based in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us. And they are Hi. mighty. <laughs> and they are mighty funny. We have seen them perform. We have. We, we laughed until we when, stopped. When when did we see them? It was just. Uh, it was in October. With this a uh, business meeting for for the Star Trek Starfleet uh, Star Trek Club. We had and, uh, and an evening per- soiree with some special guests. You've you've actually performed for original Trek uh, uh, crew members. Yes, that was very intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> they enjoyed it. We were sitting at their table, and they were laughing, too. Oh, good. We're very glad to hear that. We had a lot of fun. Yes. Frankly, it, it was yes. no worse than, than some of the stuff they broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> Best review ever. ever. <laughs> and on our website. <laughs> yeah, jo- uh, uh, for the listeners, John D.F. Black was sitting at uh, one of the front tables about, uh, I don't know, about... 15 feet at most from the stage where where uh, uh, Phaser Zahn Sten was performing and John D.F. Black was the original associate producer for Star Trek back in 1967 6, Six. Yeah. when it first went on the air for the first season and the guy's still alive, who knew? So, oh, he was a baby <laughs> when they started he oh, was yeah. fixed. couldn't get a job like that now were any were how many how many of you were not alive yet in 1967 uh, I, I was not alive I was not alive Remy was not alive mm-hmm. no neither was I none of us were alive, <laughs> <laughs> I, was alive. I snuck up had to sneak and hide behind the sofa to watch so you know so oh. so um when when did you start how did you get this started it was about a year ago and we all go to an improv school in San Francisco called That's Improv. Mm-hmm. So we were all taking classes there together, and they had a Star Trek improv class that we most of us were in. And it was 
one of the most fun things we've ever done. So we decided we wanted to keep going. And so we put this group together. And yeah, it was, I guess, last November. So it's our first birthday is over. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we've been doing it for a year. So just a year. So that this is pretty pretty unique stuff. They sort of gave you a they gave you a nice send off, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. So so you all were Star Trek fans going into this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I could just see some some innocent improver. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hard to kind of. It would be hard to step into Star Trek without knowing a lot of the background and and do it well. Um, yeah, you've you've clearly studied the the uh, the opus. There was one point in one of our early shows where I swore at somebody, and they thought I was naming them. So we had a, a Captain Kapla, a Captain Patach, for the entire show. That's funnier oh, that oops. way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Patach. A Patach. How does that read? Patach. Yeah, it's, that's it's, like it's, you busted. It's like really, yeah. It's it's really vile. It's, it's really like bad. it's a it's a cross between bastard and excrement. And I think it's, it means your mother had a smooth forehead. It's something <gasps> like that. Oh. <laughs> your mother doesn't wear army <laughs> boots. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's I German I actually something. made a study of Klingon for a while, and I got to the point where I could count to a hundred and say a few simple things. Wow. wow. Yeah. Where can you get a degree in Klingon? Susan, you know this. You can get a degree in it, can't you? Actually, the guy, well, I know that the, the chap who's who's running the Klingon Language Institute, Dr. Lawrence Schoen, is a uh, a college professor in linguistics. And, uh, you know, he's always had a talent for languages. And I bet he could put together a Klingon program for anybody who asked. But there, uh, KL, KLI.org, I think, is the current repository for no, uh, for knowledge on the Klingon language, and they have uh, they've translated. I think they've translated um, Hamlet in the original Klingon. Yeah, Hamlet into the quote original Klingon. Although I think Macbeth, <laughs> Macbeth would have been <laughs> more. Uh, that's boy, is that a Klingon play though? Everybody's everybody dies. Uh, yeah, everybody dies. Everybody's killing everybody, and it's all it's about not the really a Klingon romance. <laughs> well, it's all about the blood. You know, <laughs> it's all about blood. So, uh, it's you can't you can't do what you do as you said without a really immersive knowledge of Star Trek. I mean, and improv, and improv both. So what. You, what uh, what you're doing is pretty unusual, and it's not surprising that you're the only ones on the planet doing it. And the f- and the fans aren't catching you at mistakes either. So <laughs> you may be catching yourself. But they've been wonderfully forgiving. They they forgive forgave us for uh, we we killed a sentient life form in our first show. In our first show. Okay, let's <laughs> let's be clear. I killed a sentient life form in our right first me. show. He got better. <laughs> and and somebody came up afterwards and said, you know, that's probably not what Kirk would have done. <laughs> but that's all they said. So we learned yeah. our lesson and we moved on. Yeah. Well, so is Kirk, I expect. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. <laughs> yeah. In this cycle of almost putting sentient life forms in the warp core, 
I think we've come close to it after that yeah. show a couple of times. Yeah. And then we've made some speech about, yes, but we can't do that because they're a sentient life form. Let's come up with some other brave and noble solution. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because in improv, things will get stuck in your head. So you'll something might happen or you might see something in a movie or mm. or you'll have an idea and then it will keep coming out over and over again. And that's what happened that time. Even when you know it's the wrong thing to do, it will just, it'll want to come out. Yeah, those things start to gravitate together. And suddenly you feel your mind going, oh no, that, that, this plot is leading to us having to put them in the warp core. <laughs> <laughs> something, something bad that you shouldn't be doing. It's like, well, you, poor you know, bears. The, the way you describe it, it's like, you know, taking, taking somebody and shoving them in the washing machine. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure where the door to the warp core would be that you just open and shove them in. Yeah, I think we, we did find it. one. Yeah, yeah, we, just yeah, open we, the door. we just opened the door and threw them in. Maintenance access yeah. hatch on deck 37. We had some kind of, maybe we had some kind of rub-on uh, protective lube or something to protect us from warp core radiation. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's, that's already starting to get into adult themes there. That's... <laughs> <laughs> We try to keep those out, but we're not that out. kind of internet show. <laughs> yeah. And there were love, there were love scenes in the original series. There were, there were, yeah. And and some of them, uh, some of them were rather gro- um, groundbreaking, you know. Yeah. When yes. 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 Was there lube in the original series? I that I don't know. <laughs> it was not shown on scenes, but I neither were toilets. So. so, and we presume they were there somewhere. So, you know. So the uh, how much. Uh, we just saw the one. We just saw the one performance, and um, you know, you, your sketches are designed around comedy. Um, how much? Uh, how much personal drama do you mix into your shows? Yeah, uh, from a character development standpoint, I know this is kind of a silly question because it's improv, you know, and it's uh, there isn't really time to really think things through very much. But I was curious anyway. It's an excellent question. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 actually we don't we don't strive for comedy. That's not what we pursue. We pursue drama, but comedy comes from the the sense of ensemble that we have together, and and the way that we accept and flow with our mistakes that we make. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. We don't yeah, we don't set out intending to be funny. It usually <laughs> becomes funny when we screw up. But we really we really try to uh to embrace the personal relationships and, and focus on those above anything else. The comedy just comes out. It's, it happens. Even it's with such naughty a, Romulans. Such a hammy genre. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, yes. But, but just to know now that, that you say it where you're playing in something funny happens and we, we try really hard to uh stay in the spirit of the genre mm-hmm. and we're not making fun of it we're not doing a mm-hmm. satire of the mm-hmm. genre yeah we're really just being in the genre yes. and i think the audiences really appreciate that and i think it does set us apart a little bit from other groups that might be doing this sort of thing yeah, yeah. This, this is my chicken sandwich and coffee <laughs> that sort of thing i mean they're they they had some comedy in the uh in the show as well and uh you know that was some of the charm of it they were they were uh they They were in absurd situations 
Yeah. They were in, put in absurd situations and they had very human moments. And that's, uh, you know, that that happened uh, in the performance that we saw as well. And of course, it was non-repeatable and we'll never see that performance again. But I, uh, I really found myself engrossed in the storyline and wondering oh, what wow. was going so to happen next. You know, it, was, awesome. it, was, it was quite fun. It, it was like, uh, you know, if I if I just sort of squinted a bit and and uh, and hearkened back to what the 1960s show was really like, you know, I could almost see some of the stuff that you were doing as being stuff that they might have done on that original show. And uh, and I found it as engrossing. Yay! Well, that's yeah, what that's yeah. what we're going to put on our website. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. yeah, that's really what we're that's what we're really striving for. So that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Hmm. I th I think one thing that just occurred to me when we were talking about about the genre, I think one thing that goes down really well with our audience is that we are on stage enjoying the genre. We're we're enjoying it from an informed point of view. Like we're enjoying it in the way that the audience love it. So, so we're just having fun with it on stage, and I think I think the audience can relate. So we're to us enjoying the same thing that they always enjoyed about Star Trek, but just in front of them and playing it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the fact that you uh, the fact that you do the improvs in uniform, I mean, that just uh, and they're not bad uniforms. They're not bad either, uniforms. Right? You look good in them. <laughs> <laughs> we're work We are. We are working on upgrades. Yeah, well, well there, there was, was like Ugg boots on one of the young ladies, but that was, you know, that was it, you know. Well, that that <laughs> might have been me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, how often do you get to perform? Where where do you and what kinds of venues do you reach? Oh yes, we um we perform, I guess, about two or three times a month with the San Francisco Improv Collective on Shelton Street mm -hmm. near Union Station. In San Francisco? <laughs> Can tell I've said this many times. Oh, yes. You know, it's a, plugging is fine. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's part of why we had you on the air, you know, oh, on the yeah. show, so that you could do that. Because uh, it's not like we can you, pay you. Yeah, because <laughs> what you do is um, it's something that you have to see in person. And if, for anyone who's uh, listening who happens to be in San Francisco, this is something you should see if you're a Star Trek fan. Well, there's at least one session on YouTube. Somebody? Yes, there is one. Is that the one that we meant to take down? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens. I don't think so. It looked like a classroom. Yeah, no, I think... I look, oh, you know what, David? Our... Maybe you better take that down and we better cut Wait, this Wait, maybe part. we should Google for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we should look at that. Because there was one up there with a secret link, and then there, but other people might have put them up. Because sometimes people sit in the audience and videotape us, and mm -hmm. then um, and take pictures sometimes. Take pictures, I think my yeah. favorite thing is when uh, when we engage with the audience such that like I'll see people taking pictures of what we're doing on stage. Like for me, that's a really cool moment. Yeah, mm. that's pretty cool. Because it's like whatever we're doing, like whatever has happened in the show is compelling such that it's like something that they want to capture. Yeah. I think that's a cool thing. That's really cool. And in the very first show we did, one of the most exciting things was that uh, the audience loved Trek so much that all we had to do was pull out a tricorder, like a, like a, you know, a mind <laughs> tricorder, mm -hmm. and the whole audience went wild. Yay! <laughs> 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 Just having the hand props, you know, because it shows 
oh my god they're serious about this yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. this this is not being done as a lark these people are actually trekkies <laughs> you know because these are you, our people yeah there are people that makes all the difference in the world and immediately you know you've demonstrated that uh, you're not one of them you're one of us yeah. you know yeah. and so that bond immediately sparks up and that's been really awesome. One of the things we were afraid of at the beginning was that when we did improv in front of Star Trek fans, like really serious Star Trek fans, that they would be disappointed in us or that they would think that we weren't capturing the genre properly or that we weren't accurate. Mm -hmm. And once we actually um, did shows with you know, like the members of Starfleet, USS Golden Gate um, in our audience, they were so incredibly supportive. It was just wonderful. Mm. They, um, they were our most supportive fans I think our most supportive audience members and we've never felt like we were you know getting things wrong or I mean we get things wrong all the time but we never thought that they were mad at us for getting things wrong oh not at all so no. you haven't had an experience where the audience is going what what the hell is that what is that what are they doing <laughs> up there well it's you but we understand you <laughs> so um so about three times a month, and it's it's always in the same venue, or do you, do you travel? I know you well, travel to, to Burbank or to um, yeah, yeah. We did we did two nice LA ones. shows. Uh huh. We have we mostly perform at the Shelton on Thursday nights, not every Thursday night, but um, you know a few a month. Mm -hmm. And then we went down to LA for an improv festival in LA. I think that was in March or April or something. April. April. And then the other show we've done was the one that you guys saw. So really, we haven't branched out much outside of the Shelton. But we have dreams. Yes, we would love to. Yeah. What kind of dreams? What would you like to be doing? Oh, the whole cast just looked at me. <laughs> I, I'm the one that's always moon gazing. Uh, I, I have visions of a Bay Area tour uh, followed by a regional or a national tour. But you should talk uh, to Bacon. How we make that happen, we don't know yet. Well, and this is uh, this is really sort of. Um, a, a good solid place to jump off from, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. for every yeah. for every one of you, this is this is one of those um, pivotal moments in time. This one of the one of the important nodes in the in your travels. And we saw them before they've been discovered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is this is really this is one of those sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, pivot points in time you know you can feel it yet when yeah. when you watch one of your performances you know that this is going to be important later and uh because it's also well it's it's such an unusual experience it's so unlikely that a troupe like yours would exist at all yeah can you see any other tv show engendering something like this Ooh, friends, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Not Walking really, Dead no. improv comedy. We wondered no. about that, actually. We talked about what would it be like to do a, um, like a Doctor Who uh, improv or... A Buffy. A Buffy or... improv or a Star Wars improv. But it seems like the complexity of the Star Trek world is on a different scale. And that the whole, the, the ensemble of the crew, that you have this whole crew to work with who all have unique personalities and individual roles and um, fascinating stories that 
that works really, really well with improv because you have this group of mm -hmm. six players who are all going to switch roles all the time, and and this gives us all something to work with. Well, and you have a very um, you have a very well defined environment in terms of of the Starship Enterprise. Yes, uh, exactly. Every last button and switch is documented somewhere. <laughs> and you can't, you know, Doctor Who has been around for 50 years, but you can't say that about the TARDIS. Uh, it, it's, right, it's, it's yeah, uh, it's constantly changing. And uh, the Enterprise is, I mean, it, it, I don't do improv myself, but it strikes me that to do improv, you need a well-defined uh, um setting or environment in which your actors can function or your characters can function. It gives you less to think about. You don't have to invent the world as you're inventing your character's responses to what's going on in addition to it. So, well, like you, you know, in other improv exercises, you don't have to invent a bachelor apartment. Everybody has certain assumptions of what, what a bachelor apartment has, apart from Mildew. <laughs> but but beyond that, uh, you know, with Star Trek, you know that uh, certain roles are going to engender a certain sequence of of uh, behaviors or motions or activities, and it gives you. I think it gives you a framework or a boundary about, uh, against which to bounce. What do you? And I think that really increases our creativity. Kind of that idea that if you have a structure to work with, it actually um, mm -hmm. enables you to be more creative within that structure. And I think so. I think what you're saying really resonates because that's that's how we view it. I think Jean should try improv. <laughs> yeah. You should, yeah. Yes, everyone should. Everyone should do it. Well, I I I hope to be expressing my creativity in a different way. I'm I'm working on um, we're working up a premise for a new um, space opera. Space opera radio drama. We were we were calling it Belters, Adventures in the Asteroid Belt. But um You could it, improvise it. It's, 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 it's a little it's a little pedantic, I think. And we came up with an alternative title, Falling Up. Oh you know, because they're all living in you know, sometimes they're living in zero G and sometimes they're not. And uh it's all you know, it's all in the outer rings, you know, the, the outer habitable portion of the solar system and all the stuff that happens out there. So, um, you know, I, my problem is, is, is that I'm going to have to create my world from scratch. And mm -hmm. the one that you are working in is, has been defined for you. And that's kind of a, kind yeah. of a nice little gift. Yeah, that does take a lot of the weight off. So if you thought about doing, um, doing a series of YouTube videos instead of just the one, you know, Getting, getting more of what you do out there so that uh, hundreds of thousands of people can see you? One of the challenging things with video and improv is that so much of the energy comes from the audience and it really feeds us. So sometimes mm -hmm. um, trying to do it in, in a vacuum um, doesn't, doesn't bring out the same things that doing it on stage brings out because the audience is incredibly important mm -hmm. in the genre, in the, um, in the art form. So if you do it, you would have to record in front of an audience. Yeah, that would pretty, help. pretty much essential to the forum. We are actually doing something this Sunday. We're performing with another group called the Peninsulators on a public access cable TV channel, and that'll also be online. Oh, that so sounds that's, like fun. 
Yeah, that's with a, in an actual studio with camera people who, you know, choose their shots and, and video it professionally. Whereas mm-hmm. most of the time when we try to video improv, it's, you know, one camera at the back of the theater. And it's kind of the, the sound is bad and the video is bad and all that. So this is part of an experiment. We don't know how it will work out, but it's improv. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a three camera, a three camera shoot with a, a, a technical director and the the whole thing. Yes. Oh, how exciting! Yes, a sound sound director, um, lightician, yeah, all of that. Yeah, you're not uh, that. You're not too actually. You're, that experience isn't going to be actually too different from how they shot Doctor Who back in the sixties. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had their scripts, but they screwed up all the time, and and. <laughs> <straight> <laughs> You know, strange things happened, and the sprinklers went off in the middle of the shot, and you know the the fire. I don't sprinkler. think they had to work that in. I think they scrapped that that base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had to scrap that one, but uh, yeah, the we were. Wardrobe we, malfunctions we just, watched just this, keep this going. TV special, um, uh, Adventures in Space and Time, in which they showed what it was like working back then, and uh, you know, it's it's. It's part of the sequence, I think. I mean, it's it's uh, it's part of the creative sequence of starting with uh, one of the most challenging uh, acting forms there is, which is improv. And how did you how did you select improv? What is what was it about improv that? Uh, I think each of them so can attractive? answer that question separately. Yeah, you're going to have to answer that one separately. Yeah, because yeah. it's a very personal thing. Everybody looked at me again. <laughs> <laughs> You're the leader. This is radio, so you we can't the see them looking more. at you. You must play the captain more often than not. Uh, so, so for me, it was very much... Uh, for me, what attracted me to it in the first place was that it's, it's sort of one aspect of existential theater, uh, which is something I've always been fascinated by. Mm-hmm. And in my view existentialism sort of leads you to either say that nothing matters or everything matters that every moment matters so for me improvisation is sort of the ultimate form of existentialism the sort of ultimate form of existential theater that uh, rather than being fully bound to something that keeps you from controlling your fate you Mm -hmm. control every moment and every aspect of what you're doing on stage so as, as a performer and as a producer that's sort of always been the thing that's drawn me to it And Laura, what about you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine's completely different. I read a book about it. (laughs) I kind of stumbled across Impro by Keith Johnstone, which is an incredible book. I absolutely love it. Changed the way I thought about everything. And I used to be really, really shy and unable to talk to people and inhibited and hated being that way. And when I read that book, I realized that improv, rather than being a like the ultimate thing that I couldn't do because I always thought that improv was about being funny and witty and a fast talker and clever and so I would never ever even try to do that I realized it's actually about removing all the limitations and the blocks and the filters that you have inside you that are stopping you from doing what you yes from expressing yourself or from doing what you maybe need to do at every moment of the day it's about um yeah about letting go of all that and just being okay with failure and with speaking without knowing what you're going to say and it's kind of coming to terms with who you are so that's why I started improv and it's evolved a bit since then but that's that was my original reason 
Okay, and the next. Uh, Who's next? Uh, I'll go next. This is Deborah, and uh, I came from a, a theater background. I started when I was eight years old, and you know, I was a mouse in Cinderella, the musical. And ah. I just, I, yeah, so that was how I started. I did a lot of singing in theater, and then after college, I got pulled into an improv troupe. And when I started, the first like six months of being in an improv troupe were some of the just, like greatest, most fun moments of my life because it opened up a door towards being present, towards laughing just all the time. What I love about improv, in some ways over scripted theater, is that you're laughing all the time. In rehearsals, it's always different and varied, and um, it just filled my life with laughter. And what I, I really love is that people work together in an ensemble in a way that you can't do, I don't think, in any other way. Maybe a sports team is similar, but um, we try for something called group mind. So you try to all get on the same page in terms of where the story is going, what the emotions are. And the more you do that, the the more satisfying it is and the better the show is. And uh, I think after being together for a year, I think we've gotten to a point where we do have a good sense of group mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there's one of you left. Yes, tis I. Uh, so I've been uh, an animator for all of my adult life. And so I've been creating performances for, for a long time. Uh, and I had opportunity a few years ago, to, about three years ago, to go to India with uh, Rebecca Stockley. I was teaching an animation course there, a month-long intensive animation course for DreamWorks. And uh, I took Rebecca, who's an improviser from the Bay Area, who uh, is a teacher for BATS that we mentioned earlier, who's a big school here, big improv school. Mm-hmm. And we got on really well. Uh, and people thought we'd been working together for like years and we'd only just kind of done this thing. And she taught some improv and some performance classes over there. And, and I just thought, I've got to do this. This uh, suddenly, it, it appealed to me as a way in which I can perform with my body. Uh, for, for my whole career, I've been performing vicariously through, through characters uh, in the computer or or like models uh, and suddenly I had this this epiphany that wow it's it's time for me to put these to the side and perform with my body so as soon as I came back from India I started te- uh, studying with Rebecca and it just took off from there so you uh, but you had already been doing improv a little bit before and you know I mean every animator gets in front of a reference camera and acts out what the motions are going to be so that they have something to to uh, to work with. Well, that it used to point, be a mirror. <laughs> you know, or like working I, working in a mirror or working in front of a video camera. Absolutely. Uh I I I wouldn't call it improv. I call it performance because mm-hmm. we're not kind of making up performances as we're going along. Right, I'm, right. That's I'm right. Given, I'm given like a voice track to mm-hmm. work with. Uh but but there's certainly a, a phenomenal amount in common with improv performance and 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 acting as well so which is why me and rebecca got on so well in india and we're coming from the same place of performance even though slightly different angles you and i have uh, a little bit in common there i also went to india to teach animation for about a month ah. um except i was doing it for rhythm and hues ah. so uh Yes, and that's why he's doing this now. You were probably, <laughs> probably in Mumbai. I was in uh, Bangalore. Bangalore, okay. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we have a little bit in common there. Uh, so uh, that's wow. Amazing. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> yes. Every one of you has a, a, a distinct and unique path that brought you to this one place. Yeah. And that's interesting what you said about the group mind. I, I was just thinking that that's all reflected in sort of our biggest strengths as we perform. Like Jason is very much our physical actor. Uh, and I tend to be more heady and trying to justify the philosophy or the mythology of things. Yes, and what are we? Well, de 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 Deborah definitely brings the sort of the fun and spontaneity and sort of the professionalism of performance. And what yeah, was your yeah, answer yeah. again, Laura? <laughs> oh, Laura, you, you're I'm shy. no, you, you're always doing new things, though. You're you're always finding new ways for us to get at the craft and trying new things on stage in a way that everybody else isn't, which I think is indicative of how you come. Cool. I'll well, take well, Laura, Laura's uh, Laura's a bit of a spark. You know, yeah. she's she's the she's the catalyst. Oh, I'll take that. That's, yeah. that's very that's true, very actually, true. because weren't she's you the, the catalyst that, that got Bats to offer the class in the first place? Didn't you ask them yeah. to give a Star Trek class, and then you formed the group with Mel and yeah. cast all of the rest of us? That's true. Yeah, I did there actually. You, there you go. To do that class, yeah. Did we did we mention Mel and Sean? Yeah, we have there are two others who aren't here. Ah. Um, Melanie Salman Flores. Flores Salman. Oh my goodness, I always get them on the wrong way. And Sean Brick. And uh, Melanie wasn't down in LA, so you didn't meet her, but Sean, Sean was. He's the one with the yellow shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's the one who doesn't get killed, huh? Usually. So, um, how, uh, what would you like to be doing in, in, uh, in three years with this? Where do you think you'd like to be? <laughs> oh, now we're back to Buffy. Where do we go from here? Uh, Everybody's looking at him. Three shows a weekend in a different city every week, and uh, being exploratory with them. Doing a we we do a a forty five minute episode right now as our show, but mm -hmm. I would love for us to be doing a two act show that's either a a feature film style two act or one act that's an episode and one act that's something experimental in the. The universe, because the the Star Trek you, the, the Star Trek universe is not a genre; it's a mythology, right? So we can it tell You're right. stories that we want to in it. Mm -hmm. and it's very inviting to that, to changing genre or to changing the structure or the form. And I think that I would love to see us exploring that uh, at a significant yeah. level. We we can do we can do operas, we can do love stories, we can do uh, single protagonist dramas, uh, all sorts of these other things that we have access to that we don't do now because we're doing episodes, which is great. Mm -hmm. We're getting good at that. Uh, mm -hmm. but there's so much further we could go. People keep saying to us, so you have nailed it. Like you've got it set now. Why do you keep practicing every week? Like, what's the point? You kind of know what you're doing, but I think there's a huge depth of things for us to explore, like even exploring more about Klingons, how they live, what they do. What would a Klingon dinner party be like? Romulans, you know, all the races, uh, going into next generation mm -hmm. and really yeah. differentiating our, our um, series. I don't know if that's the right word. But right now we do a little bit, like we do a little bit of next gen kind of tone in with our original series. Mm -hmm. Like we have female captains and... Uh, well, that's what you grew up on. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Most and we maybe have more emotional conversations than they did in the original series. Mm -hmm. 
it'll be interesting to explore those two series as completely separately though and really contrast them and, and delve deeper into them. I think it'd be I think it might be um, you know fun to create some really strong uh, some really strong characters you know um, um, rather than well let's see I'm take you're already you're already working in sort of a limbo set environment if you will mm -hmm. uh, but taking characters and just accentuating them to the nth degree and then throwing them in the box and see what happens. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, the group that's, uh, you know, raising the money for um, you know, rebuilding the uh, oh, the, 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 the bridge set. set. Oh, the bridge set. Yeah, the Drop bridge you set. guys in there and let you run around. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be so cool. Be fun. We yeah. have a guy here who has a bridge in his backyard that he built. Oh, my. It's, it's a little too small to do a full show in there, though. Like, you would... You couldn't really fit enough audience members in there. So it's a full bridge. Yeah. With with so. with no flyaway yeah. sections. Right. So oh there's my. probably right. no room left in the yard for. Yeah. No, yeah it's, it, it'd be difficult. You have to get the cameras in with a crane. You know, yeah. it has to drop in through the ceiling, or you can't do it. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, the director would have to sit in the bathroom and the you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, um, I can't imagine. I mean, I've always dreamed about having my own bridge set. You know? Well, his name, too, is Jim Kirk, and it actually is Jim Kirk. Okay. Really? So it only made sense that he would build a bridge in his backyard. I, I knew a fellow named Jim Kirk. I wonder if it's the same fellow. It might be the guy, yeah. He's in Gold USS Golden Gate. Um, oh, I don't think it's the same one. I don't think it's the same one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. so, well, so is Dave. Jim Kirk that you know, the one that's commanding the Navy's new stealth battle cruiser? We heard about no, that. but I read that's about hilarious. that. That's hilarious. <laughs> his middle name oh is God. not Tiberius. And his middle name is not Tiberius, but they nicknamed him that in training. Yes. And his, yeah, his handle is Tiberius. <laughs> so he's still James T. Kirk. That's that just... too awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine living with that all your life, though? I mean, who who named him that? <laughs> well, Mom and what Pop on Kirk, Earth I guess. What are they thinking? Ah, huge fans. So yeah, I'm just uh, you know, I I liked um, I liked, and and I may get mail for this, but I think I I liked Star Trek Voyager probably a little more than most of the other Star Trek series. You know, of course, I loved the original, but Star Trek Voyager, I think, was probably my... I called it Trek for Girls. Yeah, Trek for Girls. <laughs> but it was... But, uh, you know, you had some very, very strong singular characters in it. Uh, it was a it was a ragtag crew, and every single person on that crew had a distinctive, unusual personality, and they would never be on that ship together if they weren't forced to be. And... Uh, you know, See, if they I, produced that now, those people would all be hating each other and there'd be all these, you know, um, betrayals and subplots and plotting Oh, you mean like Battlestar Galactica? Yeah. That's, <laughs> or um, Stargate it, Universe, which is yeah, another one where that. nobody loved or respected each other. and couldn't. No wonder they couldn't get, get anything done. No, I was just I was just thinking, you know, that uh, that what you're doing is such a good foundation for anything else you might go, want to uh, go into after this. And I'm just um, 
I'm I'm I was extremely impressed with the performance, of course, but uh, uh, it just it it did not occur to me until watching you perform how much really goes into improv. You're not it's not just oh let's make stuff up on the fly. No, it's this group mind thing. It's all the research. It's acting. It's writing stuff in your head and hoping your teammates are on the same page as you without being able to confer with them. That's a really big one. And that's one that groups struggle with all the time. And that you really, you just have to work together for a long time before that starts to fully develop. You not only have to write stuff in your head and hope that people get it, or find ways to communicate that actually is more the thing. But you have to be prepared to drop what's in your head at a moment's notice and go with another idea if your idea doesn't get out there. Yes, and that can be really difficult to let go of it. Yeah. You can, you can kind of be sitting there thinking, oh no, it, it's going in a way I didn't expect. And you can get in your head about that. And then once that happens, you're not really paying attention anymore. And the story will go on without you and you'll be lost. So you really have to be very I guess nimble mm -hmm. nimble's yeah. dropping your ideas yeah, yeah. It's like tribbles in your chicken soup and coffee yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I guess you just don't you don't make an attachment to them yeah try not to make an attachment to your ideas you're like let's see if this will flow oh no that's not going to fly anymore okay that's gone <laughs> it's very zen yeah yeah it's very much about being in the moment yeah and then, like, uh, knowing when to end your scenes, too. Normally, we have a lightician who will end our scenes for us. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges for the show that you guys saw was that we didn't have a lightician at all. So we had to kind of agree when a scene ended and uh, have the next people come in and, and start their scene at, at the right moment with quotes around it. It seemed to make sense, but, of course, you were kind of going with the same sort of Star Trek scene structure, so you... You had a way of knowing when the end was. Yeah, you happen. kind of you kind of feel when the end is is coming. With a lightician, you have a light. A lightician controls like which lights are on and oh, color. Oh, okay. Up. And then they also end the scenes, so they're a, a hidden but incredibly important part of the improv team. Because they can so, get a sense of what's going on. You know, they can get a sense of when the scene is ending, and they dim yeah. they dim the lights, and that's how you know. Oh. Oh, we've reached it. <laughs> yeah. Do they give you a warning, like a flicker? To no, they just bring them down. And okay. you, you're ready. Like, you yeah. know. Okay, you're you done. feel that it's over, too. The I tricky mean, part is when they don't bring them down, and you feel oh, like it's yeah. over, and then you're, you have to, you know, figure Keep out going. how to end it yourself. Without... And that's when 10 seconds on stage feels like 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> when the is over, and the lights don't come down, yeah. and you're looking at the other person, and you're just hoping they'll come down. And feels like a very long happens. time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what are your next immediate plans? Where are you going? Um, well, they've, they've talked about this weekend, but that'll be that's, that's yeah, that's probably this while that's, the show is playing yeah, so on this show. Will, Radio. This show will air uh, <laughs> Saturday this coming night. Saturday night. Yeah, oh, at cool. nine o'clock, and it'll be on again at Sunday at four p.m. And it's going to be airing this very week. Usually we record these shows weeks in advance, but not this time. Oh, you're going straight out there. That's yeah, it's so going straight out. Instant gratification. So um, uh, do you have any larger projects in mind? Um, 
uh, any other science fiction conventions? Any other science fiction conventions that's a, that you're that's going such to do? That's such a natural. Any big ones? Well, we'd like to do Vegas. Cool. <laughs> there's Trekkies in Vegas. Yeah, there's going to be um, the. I only know of one convention out there, and that's going to be on Halloween weekend, and it has nothing to do with Star Trek, as far as I know. But I imagine there's another Trek convention out there. Is there another one? I would check the uh, you know, Creation Entertainment website. They're the ones who put on the big ones. Oh, okay. The Creation Cons? Yeah. Yeah. Why shouldn't they? No, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, you could. See? You, you, can, could. Do, you can do Vegas. You can do Vegas. Yeah. Get dressed up with feathers and sequins and do the can-can. Yeah, no, they, well, no the, not for Star Trek. Uhura did that scene with the feathers in the... I suspect she had a stunt person. Was that Star Trek V? Yeah, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> are, are we still agreeing that Star Trek V never happened? Or yeah, uh, I am. God, I'd love to. Some fans did a, you know, their own version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. That is how to watch that movie. Because oh. they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, we've got to... I, I, I went back to start watching them from the beginning again, and I got through um, Wrath of Khan. So maybe when it comes time for number five, I will do it Just that way. Just skip it. I can't skip it. I have to... I, no, you can skip I mean, it. <laughs> there's there's nothing that happens that matters for the canon in Star Trek V. I saw Star Trek V without my glasses on, like legally blind, and I still thought it was awful. And this was like <laughs> an, this was an IMAX theater before IMAX theaters were a thing. This was like you went to IMAX this, without your glasses. This was on? a it was a horror. I was very upset <laughs> until. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't find them. I, I left them somewhere. And when you when you don't have your glasses on, you can't find your glasses. Why are you trying to make it into an existential experience? <laughs> I think that's what the directors were. The director was trying to do, but I don't I, think he worked very well. You know who the director was, so yeah. Yes. Why does Why does the director need a spaceship? <laughs> anyway, so. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, you have, you have the potential of doing videos and I think, I think you should find a way to do more of them because what you do is, is unique and special and I think everyone should see it, you know, and not everyone can travel to you. Unless you do some for us now, which would be great. We will be continuing, we will be at the Shelton again next, next, uh, January. January. Yeah, we'll be starting Mm -hmm. again in January. Um, I know that's not going to other people, though. <laughs> Unfortunately, people still have to come from San, to come to San Francisco. Well, we have a lot of listeners in San Francisco, so um, if you're listening, you know where to go. And it, tell us the name of the theater again. It's the it's Shelton the Shelton Theater on five three three Sutter Street in San Francisco. It's downstairs. Upstairs, and occasionally people get directed to the wrong theater and go and watch entire shows without us, wondering when we're going to come on. Oh. <laughs> it happens a lot. So, yeah, go downstairs. Down the stairs. To the left. Beam down. Down and to the left. <laughs> well, we'll keep that That's in mind. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Phasers on stun, every every one of you. It's been so nice to have you on the show this evening. It's been stunning. It has been. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we look forward to seeing your next performance. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been really fun. It has been fun. This has been episode 41 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for December 7th, 2013. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio station manager Gene Turnbow and executive producer Susan Fox. Our guests this week have been Laura Wood, Jason Spencer Galsworthy, Deborah Schifrin, and Rennie Frazier of the San Francisco Star Trek improv ensemble Phasers on Stun, with an exclamation point if you're looking for them on the web. The episode will air again on Sunday, December 8th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You will be able to find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christian B. McGuire. The Navigator was played by Corsair's Closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the Captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyrighted 2013 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>